you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed podcast brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation and a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. We bring you community discourse about amazing organizations and people who come together to help make Edmonton strong. We share stories from spaces where endowments and community intersect. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. In this episode, Malcolm Mazania and his daughters explore our conservation site and discover how Edmonton Area Land Trust protects our wilderness and the community. Then we'll get the scoop on why you should get curious about writing a will and where to get some free advice. This fall marks the 10th anniversary of the Edmonton and Area Land Trust. The idea to form the organization came when a motivated group of city councillors and conservationists got together to figure out a way to protect sensitive natural areas in the Edmonton region. Since then, EALT has acquired nearly 12 properties through purchase or conservation easements. It's on these properties that EALT carries out its mandate of not only protecting these ecosystems, but educating the public about the importance of these natural spaces. We sent Malcolm Azania, a.k.a. Minister Faust, on a family outing to EALT's Larch Sanctuary to learn more about the organization and the role it's playing to ensure that Edmontonians will be able to connect with nature now and forever. I like these trees with the really pale green leaves. Yeah, those are really nice. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're like silver. Oh wow. So there's like this drop where the water, it's just a small drop, but it's got the the, all the rock, and then it, it's making a riffle, riffling sound when the water goes down, and then there's a little land barrier. Oh, and it's really cool. Um, there's a bunch of bird sounds. Whoa, that's the dragonfly. And there's a bunch of dragonflies. What do you think? I think it's really pretty. I really like the trees there. And I really like the sound that the water makes, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Minister Faust, and those little sweeties are my daughters. Big girl and young girl. Don't call her little girl. And they came out with their old pop to experience one of Edmonton's most remarkable and least known treasures. (laughs) So, this is called the McTaggart Sanctuary. What do you think a sanctuary is? A sanctuary is a, is a protecting place, or a place where people or things are protected. What do you think is protected here? Well, look Maybe around. bees. The wildlife. Yeah. And this says it's a larch sanctuary, and larches are a type of tree. So let's go in, the, let's go in our, our walk. Okay, you guys choose. There's a couple of nice, oh, there's look, several there's paths here. Which paths right, one take? Right. Okay, let's, you guys lead on. So what is the McTaggart Sanctuary? Well. It's one of the many magnificent green zones under the stewardship of the decade-old Edmonton and Area Land Trust. Okay, that name is kind of plain, but the names of the preserves under its protection sound like they're from a fairy tale or a fantasy novel. Glory Hills, Bunchberry Meadows, Monistic, Golden Ranches, and a whole bunch more. But on this adventure day with my sidekicks, we're at the only EALT preserve inside Edmonton city limits. It's the McTaggart Larch Sanctuary, which is at the South White Mud Creek Ravine between Century Park and Rabbit Hill Road. 
So we parked next to the 23rd Avenue overpass and went to explore the McTaggart's 24 hectares of beauty. What's this place called? Uh, Canada Trust something something. As you look around, we just left the parking lot. What are you guys looking at? What do we see here? Well, there's a lot of trees and purple flowers, and there was the, you had the yellow flowers. And oh, there's a birdie. What kind of bird? Uh, maybe a duck. Yeah. Just over there, what are we looking at? A blue metal rustic bridge. Yeah, I think it's very. Uh, what's neat is when you know, if you don't look at the the road on the way in here, you'd think that we were way out in the country. Yeah. There's a lot of mosquitoes, and Dad forgot to bring the repellent. <laughs> I wanted to find out more about how the Edmonton and Area Land Trust came to be, so I went to speak with Pamela White. She's the executive director of the EALT. We met at a place that doesn't sound at all like a serene nature preserve. Instead, it was a busy West End coffee shop. There was a clear decrease in natural areas. There's a 16% per year from the early 90s were being lost. So the city was concerned, uh, environmental groups were concerned, and so they did some inquiries of the public to say, maybe we should look at a land trust. They then had a natural areas committee and they recommended a land trust and the public in focus groups and interviews and input said we really would like to see an independent group we don't like things that change every um, election yes <laughs> the city is a founding member there are three environmental groups but it's as wide as the edmonton community foundation which is philanthropic and then there's the urban development institute which is developers so Imagine that variety of groups who all agree, we need to keep our natural areas, they increase quality of life, citizens enjoy being there, but they have a lot of services. So the need was clear, the mechanism was decided to start this charity, which becomes qualified with Environment Canada, so that donors of land, and we have numerous, can get special benefits if they donate their land, and which works diligently to educate and secure. So that's how it started. Okay, let's go back to exploring the Larch Sanctuary. It's a birdhouse. Yeah, we also look. found an orange dead beetle, and it was really big and fat, and it's really cool. <laughs> I am really impressed. Like These are really... Uh, I don't know. They look like... They scare me. I, I took evidence and investigation in science, and it looks like... Well, it's it's a hoof, obviously. Yeah, how many parts are... Uh, how many parts of that hoof? Two. Yeah, so That's what kind of animal could that be? Uh, a deer. Aren't moose tracks bigger than that? Maybe. I think it's a deer. Something small. And it, since they're indented so deep, I'd say that... um. It was probably muddy that day, mm -hmm. so it was really heavy. It was a few days, yeah, mm -hmm. really heavy. Maybe both, but I say because it it, it seems like pretty hard, like um, dirt. So mm -hmm. it must have been a rainy day. That's a good day. point. So you're like becoming a tracker, learning how to read the signs that the animals leave. Well, if you have to learn it in science, you might as well use it. That's a good point. How, so when you think of all the animals that would come here, how delicious do you think they would be? Depends which one. Which ones do you think would be the most delicious? 
Uh, they have to be really fatty. Well, it's true that the fat is what gives a lot of the flavor to the meat. What is that? Well, let's read it on the side. What does it say? Protecting pollinators. This has been a bee hotel designed to provide solitary bees with a place to nest. Pollinators are declining worldwide for a number of reasons, including habitat loss, pesticide use, and climate change. Um, by the way, just save, save the bees already. <laughs> and over here, what do we learn? How many types of bees live in Alberta? Uh, 300 species. You know, I heard the other day that most bees in Alberta don't build hives. They only live in small groups, like families, I guess, which was a bit of a surprise to me. I didn't know that some bees, or most bees here, did not live in hives. Me neither. I thought everybody... I thought all of them lived... Wait, how do you make honey if you don't have a place to store it? I don't know if all bees make honey. Why don't we find out later? Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe some of them just collect pollen and then do stuff like make, you know, socks and um, sweaters and stuff to sell at the farmer's market. Okay, sorry. You know, I love city living. I love Edmonton. In fact, my family first came here in 1939 and two of my novels are set here. But no matter how much you love any city, a city makes you dirty. You can see it on the bottoms of your shoes or if you run barefoot on your feet and the pollution doesn't stop at your skin. There's the smog that gets inside your body from all those cars and of course our annual western forest fires. And it goes past your lungs and inside your skull with the never-ending noise of traffic and commerce and the never-ending pressures of work, family and global crises. So how can you escape it? How can you cleanse your body and your mind? The Japanese call it shinrin-yoku, or forest bathing. And nope, you don't need to take off your clothes or spray yourself with river water. You just need to wander in the green to lose yourself in order to find yourself. Now, right ahead here, this is very pretty because uh, you can see <laughs> all the uh, roots are exposed for this tree. Although, I mean, it's not good for the tree. It reminds me of a grandfather tree from like a movie or something. Like a fantasy film. There's more water. There's more water. It sounds like a waterfall or something. Oh, wow. Oh, it's beautiful. So girls, what are we seeing down here? Well, we're seeing a river. With like lots of rocks and making the ripple ripple sounds, mm -hmm. and there's some plants down there. It's pretty cool looking. It's uh, beautiful. Can I go down there? It doesn't sure. look like chocolate milk anymore. It's no, it's like... more like root beer. As long ago as 2001, the American Psychological Association published its findings that green is good for you. Tests showed that 40 minutes of walking in green areas, as opposed to walking city streets or quiet reading or listening to music, decreased anger, increased pleasant emotions, and improved concentration. And as the APA reported, quote, children who live in greener environments have a greater capacity for paying attention and are better able to delay gratification and inhibit impulses. I hope that one impulse they don't inhibit, though, is climbing trees or splashing about in the water. Right now we're looking 
at the base of one of the creeks and I don't know we're we're pretty deep we're uh, we must be around close to the level of the river itself so we're, we've come quite a distance down into the ravine and it's really scenic I've I've been close to this part traveling on the road but I've certainly never ever wow, walked that. through here what it's are we like, looking at? It's like a cliffside and then it's got plants growing on it and it looks there like you can see the roots through the side of the kind of of the really 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 steep like down thing. Mm -hmm. A dragonfly. There's lots of nice dragonflies here and butterflies too. I've seen a lot of bluey purple butterflies. So do you think that if you, if you had friends coming to Edmonton, would this be a nice place to uh, take them on a, on a hike? Yeah, definitely. It's very pretty. I'm very proud of Edmonton for this. And nature, of course, nature mm -hmm. mostly. Yes. Yes, it would be a very nice place. By 2010, the Edmonton and Area Land Trust had acquired natural areas at Golden Ranches and Glory Hills, joined by Monistic in 2011 and Pipestone Creek in 2012. That year, a private sector partner planted more than 30,000 trees and by 2013 added a quarter million tree seedlings. Since then, the EALT has completed many major projects to steward their lands, including making habitats safer for wildlife, adding nest boxes for cavity nesting species, and removing invasive plants. EALT is also very engaged in outreach, having added its interpretive Go Wild for Geocaching program, convened bee hotel workshops, erected numerous bee hotels on public and private land around Edmonton to cultivate solitary bee habitat, generate awareness of the importance of pollinators, and conserved 30 hectares of the Smith Homestead in the Beaver Hills International Biosphere Reserve and 300 hectares of Parkland County's environmentally sensitive Devon Dunes habitat. With 12 conservation zones now under its protection, the EALT also partners with students and elders at Amiskwachi Academy and McEwen University's Aboriginal Studies program to work on Cree names for some of the land trust's conservational preserves. Well, of course, saving the world is our highest priority. But taking a note from the wisdom of Al Capone, organizing to save the world and offering incentives will get you farther than organizing to save the world alone. So I asked Pamela White why folks would donate land to the EALT. For the donor, if you have ecologically valuable land, that just means that it's natural and donated. Environment Canada, through an arrangement with the CRA, has an ecological gifts program. The eco gifts program, everybody calls it. So this program allows you to use 100% of the fair market value of that land against any capital gains you might have. It can be used over a 10-year period. It doesn't have to be used that tax year. As my daughters and I continued joyfully navigating the large sanctuary, I couldn't help but think of that small chorus of Edmontonians trying to colonize our magnificent wild spaces, whether inside the ravine we were exploring or inside the vast North Saskatchewan River Valley. These are the folks who want to put chain store coffee shops and bars where they can drink 
so they don't have to think. But doesn't the city already have plenty of coffee shops and bars? And once you fill our green spaces with places to rake in the green, nature disappears and it never comes back. So if more people could simply experience the wonder of the EALT's natural areas, they'd know they don't need booze or a Starbucks outlet to enjoy the glory of the green. They just need to breathe and listen and walk. By preserving this eco-network for future generations, the EALT is maintaining walls of sentinel trees, a protective habitat for herds of proud deer and legions of hyperproductive bees, and a living heart of jade that science proves energizes and purifies our individual and collective bodies and minds. It makes me feel like I'm not in the city. It, 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 it reminds me like I'm like at a summer camp or something out in the country. And I, I just want to say, cool beans. <laughs> Next time we'll bring lots of mosquito repellent. Won't we, Dad? <laughs> yes. A big thanks to Minister Faust for bringing us along on his hike through Edmonton and Area Land Trust's Larch Sanctuary. If you'd like to learn more about EALT's conservation lands and how to support their work, visit EALT.ca and we'll post the link on our show notes. Every year, Edmonton Community Foundation hosts Wills Week, a week of free info sessions led by a team of volunteer state lawyers that focuses on the importance of creating and maintaining an up-to-date will. It's kind of like a Wills 101 workshop. It might seem like a dark topic on the surface, but Kathy Hawksworth sees wills as empowering documents that can help celebrate everything you've worked so hard for. Hi, I'm Kathy Hawksworth. I'm the Director of Donor Services at Edmonton Community Foundation. Thanks so much, Kathy, for joining us on the podcast today. How did you come to be so enthusiastic about wills? I'm actually a Wills Week convert myself. Wills Week has existed at the Community Foundation for, I'm going to say, almost 25 years. It's a public service around why people need a will, why it's a good idea. And over the years, I've heard story after story of family disasters where there was no will in place and how simple it is to overcome those situations by simply documenting what you want to have happen and think about what should be in a good will. Lots of great questions that lawyers have asked that perhaps myself or others may never have even thought of if they weren't asked those questions. Yet it makes all the difference when you see how an estate can be administered and all the decisions that have to be made after a person's lifetime. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot to think about, about a topic that's not usually a lot of fun to engage with. How do you encourage people to be open to the conversation about writing a will? There's some statistics out of the UK that I think are really telling. First of all, in the United Kingdom, they have something called a wills registry, where your will is actually registered, which has allowed them to do a whole bunch of research around wills and the people that write them. And one of the interesting things that was shared with me years ago was that people with wills statistically live longer than people who don't. So the planning process is not actually signing your own death warrant. It's actually just thinking about what you would want to have happen when you have no say. 
So to actually put some power behind those thoughts, thinking about everything that you've worked for and who you've worked for, whether it be your family or community, and then just documenting what you would want to have happen. Each year at Will's Week, we hear people talk about all the things they do to avoid writing a will, many of which cause their own problems, things like putting property in joint title with their children and assuming that children will know what is to happen or other assumptions that people make. And just to know that this is actually a story that you're writing. It's just saying, you know, I wish this is what I would like to have happen. That way, when you do it with professional help, the lawyers can say, or yes, that's a great idea. Have you thought about or but what if? All of those kinds of questions so that you don't have to be overwhelmed with the topic. You can just identify what you'd like and have really great input so that a document can be prepared that actually outlines what those wishes are in an effective and useful way. I know for in my family and in my partner's family, having family members who have written wills has been quite a lovely gift because as the family, you're not questioning the desires. It's there for you. It's a little roadmap so that you can, through your grief, go through the process of dealing with an estate and dealing with paperwork. Wills are a wonderful gift to a family because there is that roadmap to give you some idea of what that person was thinking, especially helpful if it's written well so that what they were really thinking gets documented how they were thinking it and not some miscommunication. But there are two other documents that are also wonderful gifts. One is an enduring power of attorney, which deals with a situation where someone is unable at that moment, it may be temporary or it may be long term, to make financial decisions for themselves. So it may be because of an injury or something, but it gives somebody authority to act on their behalf. The other document is a personal directive, which gives some thought around the medical and living decisions. This isn't the financial, this is who you live with, whether you get your hair done once a week, those sorts of decisions, and give somebody the power to do that. I've had two elderly parents need to rely on those documents. I was surprised myself to discover you can't change a phone line without an enduring power of attorney. There's some things that you think would be very straightforward, but you need legal authority to be able to deal with them. In hospitals, you're as a as a family member, you're asked decisions to make decisions for a loved one. How wonderful to have those decisions documented so that you're speaking their decision, not the one you feel you would want to make or the one that you would feel is disloyal or loyal. Um, so those are wonderful gifts too. But the will, even if what you see in the will isn't what you would have wanted necessarily, let's say as a family member, the responsibility then rests with the person that wrote it. It's not because some Alberta law has dictated that this is how this must happen because no will is in place. But it has no bearing on what your family dynamic actually is. It also doesn't talk about 
cultural and religious rules that you may feel that you want to follow. That isn't part of the Wills and Succession Act of Alberta. So if you want those rules to be in place and you want to follow them, to the extent that they're legally enforceable, you can put those in a will. And that's a a lovely gift to family that may share that cultural or religious background as well. All this and more is discussed at Wills Week. So when does Wills Week take place? Wills Week is the first week of October. Uh, This year it starts October 1st. On the Monday, there are about 12 sessions throughout the city. There's more information on our website about where and the times. We have some during the day, some during the evening. The sessions are all designed to be very general, so they will be very similar. But if you want to rehear something or hear it from a different perspective, by all means, you can go to more than one. And the most important aspect of this is that they're free. (laughs) They are free. And a great time to do this, and not just for yourself, because the laws change, so you may need to get your will up to date under current rules that have changed over the last few years. But also, if you know some young people that don't have a will in place, many people start thinking about this quite a bit later in their lives, and yet they have young children, they have other obligations, they have businesses that could really benefit from the order that a will can put in place. These are great sessions to go to now so that you can get all that in place. Thanks to Kathy Hawksworth for joining us. Will's Week will run from October 1st to 5th. If you want to attend one of the free sessions about writing a will, you can find the schedule at ecfoundation.org, and the link will be on our show notes. We are coming up to the end of our show, but before we say goodbye, we have some announcements to share. First, Vital Signs 2018 will be released on October 4th. Keep your eyes out for it in the Edmonton Journal and on our website, ecfoundation.org. And we have one grant deadline coming up. The Young Edmonton grants range from $500 to $3,000. They are for projects that are initiated, led, and organized by young people living in the Edmonton and area. So if you know someone who should apply, let them know that the next deadline is October 15th. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Well Endowed Podcast. Thanks to all of our guests for sharing their stories with us. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to fill out our listener survey at thewellendowedpodcast.com. We want to know what you think. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please be sure to share this episode with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. Leaving a review is a big help, and we always appreciate your feedback. Thanks for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Elizabeth Monkink and Andrew Paul. Until next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation and is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.